amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right. This August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic Con action only in Connecticut at Terrific Con. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Malone, the comic book conversation show. John Suntris here. Wanted to start off by saying, first of all, there's going to be another episode dropping today, and that's an incredible conversation with the daughter of George Carlin, Kelly Carlin. There's a new box set of George Carlin's HBO specials, but even more exciting... Part of the box set is going to be a bunch of previously unreleased video of George Carlin in his pre-hippie area. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, back in his clean-cut early 60s persona, when he did a lot of variety shows like Ed Sullivan. He, there's even an NBC special that she mentions. And I cannot wait to watch a lot of this unreleased Carlin in a very interesting part of his career, his kind of straight-laced stand-up years. We talk about that period and the evolution of his comedy over the decades, uh, starting from the 60s through the early 2000s, till his death, really, and uh, just the transformations that Carlin made over the years and how a lot of his comedy still reflects today's culture wars. Uh, it's a great conversation. And also, I just wanted to thank the Word Balloon audience for uh, listening and indulging me in these... Uh, uh, forks in the road that uh, deviate from the usual nerd culture comic book fair that I talk about here on Word Balloon. Uh, it's very exciting for me to have these opportunities to talk to these people that are away from the comic book business, but are still part of our pop culture. And you know me, I love my TV, I love my old movies, and I'm fascinated by 20th century pop culture. So these opportunities to talk to these people are just incredible, and I'm happy to share them with you, and I'm really glad that you're responding to that. So, also today, Kelly Carlin talking about the legacy of her father, George Carlin, and uh, how it impacts her, what she's doing today. It's a great hour-long conversation that I'm sharing with you, in addition to today's Word Balloon that you're listening to right now, where I'm really excited to be also talking to Teeny Howard. Teeny Howard's a terrific writer, and uh, I'm so glad to have uh, found her work and finally have the opportunity to talk to her directly about it. She is a great writer. Assassinistas from IDW's Black Crown imprint is uh, one of their best books. She and Gilbert Hernandez uh, just doing a tremendous job exploring uh, a, a team of uh, assassins uh, that were active uh, 
back in the 90s, and now they're uh, modern-day adventures as they've all split off. Some have children, uh, all have personal problems, and uh, it's it's a good combination of action and comedy in Assassinistas. Tini's also taken over Hack Slash, Tim Seeley's excellent creation of uh, ha- uh, Cassie Hack, uh, the great uh, monster hunter, and that's a great horror comedy series. I'm sure you're well aware of it, and really excited to uh, witness Teeny's spin on the Hack Slash uh, world and universe. And then also, she's doing incredible work on Rick and Morty. I love the show. I love the Oni comics. She is one of the strong writers, and uh, she has done uh, you know collaborations uh, with uh, other writers like Kyle Starks, uh, but also uh, Mark Ellerby has been uh, her uh, co-creator on uh, this wonderful series. Pocket Like You Stole It is uh, the trade that involves her Rick and Morty stories. Great stuff. I mean, if you love the show, just like the Simpsons comics. If you love the Simpsons, you love the Simpsons comics. It really f- reflects well on the TV series. The same goes with uh, Teeny's work on Rick and Morty. So uh, it's so fun to uh, talk to Teeny Howard today on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. Uh, you continue to help uh, make the podcast go via your subscriptions uh, through Patreon. Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help out the cause, if you like what we do here and want to support the show, you can do that by uh, subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, or you can just click on the Patreon ad on the front page of wordballoon.com. But as always, thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And there's some great Teeny Howard product waiting for you at InStock Trades. You can get her Magdalena Reformation trade paperback from Top Cow. We talk about this in the conversation. Uh, a really interesting story and uh, a way to kind of expand Magdalena's uh, origin story. Uh, it's great. It's 42% off, $9.85. Again, the aforementioned Rick and Morty pocket like you stole it trade paperback. Very funny stuff from Teeny Howard. Mark Ellerby captures the look of Rick and Morty, and Teeny captures its voice. Very funny stuff. It's 30% off, $13.99. And you can get uh, the first volume of uh, Teeny's Hackslash Resurrection. Uh, it's uh, Cassie, and the artist is called Celor, or Celor. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name or her name. Forgive me. But uh, this is another great volume of uh, Cassie Hack, uh, Hack Slash stuff. And it is 42% off, $9.85. So uh, some of the great Teeny Howard product that you can get at in-stock trades. I can't wait because I know there's going to be more coming. But right now, there's a bunch of Teeny Howard uh, product at great prices. You won't want to miss it, especially after you hear this conversation if you're new to Teeny's work. And I know Assassinistas, when it gets collected, will likely be there as well. But uh, check out some of the great Teeny Howard product waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Teeny Howard. Really excited to talk to her about uh, her starting comics and what she's doing now and the future as well. Teeny Howard on today's Word Balloon. Teeny Howard, welcome to Word Balloon. This is thrilling for me because uh, ever since they announced Assassinistas, I'm like, oh, I got to talk to her. So, oh man. <laughs> so well, thanks thank for coming you. on. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast, so it's nice to be on here. Oh, I'm really glad you know who I am. <laughs> That's good. I do. I do. I actually, uh, even before Shelly came on and, and said such nice things about me, I was familiar with your work and I, I, I like the podcast a lot. So. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you very much. Well, I like your uh-huh. work and I really, uh, 
like I said, when uh, when Assassinistas was described, I'm like, oh, I'm so in. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, really have enjoyed Thank the first five you. issues and uh, psyched for issue six and where things may be going. But yeah, no, from the start. And God, what an exciting thing to be able to work with Hernandez and everything. Tell me about. Oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah. How did that happen? Uh, well, that that was all Shelley Bond magic. I mean, and I can honestly, if I'm if I'm going to start by going back and, and being in shock that legends were willing to work with me, uh, it starts when Shelley called me. Um, yeah. I mean, because, uh, you know, I, I, I can't talk about getting to work with Gilbert without getting to talk about working with Shelley because sure. she's really how that happened. And, um, you know, it was like it, it couldn't have been better timing. Like, I mean, I was just at a part in my career where I was like, OK, I've done a couple good things. And, and where do I go next? And I wanted to do. Uh, I had done the skeptics at black mass kind of by the seat of my pants. And I was like, gosh, you know, the next time I do a creator owned book, I feel like I really need some guidance. I need, um, like a really good editor or a mentor or just someone who's going to really hold my hand through this because I felt like my first, um, creator and experience was like a lot of people, you know, trial by fire. And it's, it's very punk rock. I mean, that's, you know, and a lot of companies are like that, you know, it, image, it's kind of the, the same thing, you know, you're expected to produce a book. Um, and I uh, and Shelly, you know, reached out to me and, and like my brain fell out of the back of my head because, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in comics today if it weren't for so many of the books that Shelly worked on and made possible through her time at Vertigo. Um, so I was floored and, and more than happy to work with her on, on, you know, whatever, wherever she was going going next and, and what she was up to. So uh, I, I happily wanted to work with her and we worked on ideas and, and Assassinistas was uh, um, one that I had wanted to make happen for a while. I had written a, a prose short story a few years ago that had kind of introduced the characters of Dominic and Octavia who are the leads. And I, I wanted to go back to them. I wanted to fill out the world that I had implied and um, Shelly was really into it and, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what artist I wanted to work with yet. And, and for me, that's, that's, I, I can't work too much on a story until I know who my artist is going to be. Sure. Um, I can, you know, plan it out in my head and stuff, but when it comes to actually writing the script, I need to know, you know, I can outline, but when I'm writing a script, I need to know who I'm writing for. Uh, and so I, I felt kind of stuck, you know, I wanted to, to do more, um, on it, but I, I didn't have an artist settled yet. And Shelly just sent me an email that was like, what do you think about this? You know, uh, you know, teeny Howard, Gilbert Hernandez, Zasnisa. And I was like, well, obviously I think that's amazing, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> like I just wrote it off. I was like, that's cool. Maybe he'll do a cover. Like, sure. You know, <laughs> the Hernandez brothers do not need to work on the scripts of any, nobody's like me. You know, they don't, they don't need that. Um, and Shelly was like, well, you know, he genuinely really, he says he really likes it. And, uh, you know, he said that to me, too, and I guess I should believe him because he's a wonderful human being. Um, but, yeah, and, and so from there, you know, the second that uh, Gilbert said he was on it, I the whole book, like, the second she said that email, you know, that the whole book became clear in my head exactly how I wanted it to look and, and what I wanted to do. And um, and from there, it made me really, it was really clear to me, you know, because I was like, how do I make this book about family dynamics and not just a, a crime book where everyone's upset that they're not shooting each other? <laughs> sure. And the answer is you make it Love and Rockets. You know, you make, yeah. <laughs> you, make you know, you, you bring in an artist who absolutely nails interpersonal dynamics harder than anyone, really. Uh, and a literal legend, a literal Hall of Famer. Um, so I was like, well, great. Now, if he says no, I don't know who else is going to draw this book because <laughs> now it's a Hernandez book in my mind. Um, and thankfully he did. And it's been wonderful working with him and I've, I've gotten to know his whole family, uh, wow. you know, not just 
his brother, but his his wife and his daughter, who's an amazing creative in her own right. And uh, it's wonderful. I mean, the best part, I went to I went out to San Diego for the first time last year for Comic-Con. And the best part was just Shelly and me and, and Gilbert and his family just hanging out and telling stories and talking. And um, he's wonderful to work with. You know, I write him little love letters at the beginning of every script. That's like, I can't believe you're doing this with me. <laughs> um, yeah, Jesus. Well, but it's, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing to me. And, and, uh, and yeah, yeah. So beyond, you know, obviously beyond drawing and stuff, is he, is he kind of helping you co-plot and everything? I mean, like you said, you, you weren't sure, you, you weren't sure how you're going to write it until you know what kind of artist you have and everything. So yeah, how involved is he in in sort of the co-plotting, because it is. It has it has that Love and Rockets flavor, and again, taking nothing away from you, because really, obviously, again, you, you came up with the concept, and you you wrote these characters, as you say, before in prose. But so much of what I, I write in is because I know what what Gilbert can do. You know, okay. like, it's like know, knowing, knowing, with some artists, it's like I would have to focus on, on you know, different things. Like, okay, so I, I use a lot of, I like to use a lot of images in my scripts. Okay. You send them actual images? Uh, yeah, I like to use a lot of images in my scripts just to be like, hey, this is kind of where I'm feeling. And, you know, with yeah. some with some artists, I might say, okay, well, I know they know what this kind of, of gun or this kind of equipment looks like, but let me send them this exact facial expression that I'm really feeling, you know? <laughs> um, and with Bido, it's like the exact opposite. It's like, uh, he's someone who I can just be like, like there's one line where it's like, you know, one character looks at another and the way I describe it is like when they're doing something, when your friend is doing something stupid and you silently have to apologize for them. <laughs> and that's like such a perfect, you know, that's something that I know he can nail. So it's like, I don't have to, that's something where it's like, I, I know he knows that and, and evokes that so well. And, and with such minimalism, um, that, you know, I do a lot of the the plotting myself, but, you know, sure. for example, like if the character of Kyler, the little boy, was originally in the series a lot less, <laughs> but Shelly and I were just floored. And Shelly said to me she early on, she goes, you know, um, he draws really cute babies. You got to put some cute kids in the cute babies. In this. That's and hilarious. There, there were already kids and babies in the book as a, you know, by virtue of what what they are, but I was like, yes. yeah, you know, there'll be, a, there'll be a few, you know, there, there's, they're, they feature in the story. But once I saw just how Gilbert draws Kyler, I was like, he has to be in like every issue, like his, like his, like, <laughs> can I swear? Like his of crappy course. little face, like a shitty little face. He's just like, like bratty little face is so cute. And like, I love the way he draws like baby Dominic with like his big head and his big eyes, like poking <laughs> out of the little carrier. That, like I, I had to add so much of that and like lazy Susan, the iguana, like there's just so yes. much that I was like, he draws them so well. They, they, it's like, it's less that he is involved in the co-plotting by him saying, this is what I do or don't want to draw. It's more just that, like, I know what he draws well. And that influences what I put in. I mean, because I want to see him do those things so beautifully. Um, but you know, there have been a few moments where, you know, um, you know, he's, he's punk rock and he, you know, he lives in Vegas and in, in, in a place that's, you know, seen a lot of violence. And sometimes we've talked about like how we want to show, um, guns or violence in the, in the book because neither of us are really interested in glorifying gun violence. Um, so it's been, an, that's an interesting thing. We've had a, we've had conversations about, you know, it's like, well, what are we doing? Are we showing things in ways that we feel good about? Um, cause yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's punk rock. He's saying something with the work he does and, and it's great too to learn from that. I can appreciate that. And also it's funny. I just talked to Will Dennison, uh, Jim Williams and that where we live, uh, anthology mm -hmm. that came out about violence and stuff. And yeah, you know, actually that was in the back of my head in terms of, 
the fact that this is a book about assassins coming at a time when, you know, violence really is kind of like this ish kind of subject and everything. And hey, man, I, I, and I, I'm sure you are as well. The book has a great Tarantino feel. And I, and I say that, you know, with the best intent of complimenting yeah. with the vibe that you're going for and everything. And I think, yeah, Gilbert is an excellent uh, choice to convey this. And it just, it, I love how it's playing on all these different levels because it is very funny. And yeah, Kyler is a, a great example of a, a shitty little kid that's way too, <laughs> way too hopped up on sugar. And, you know, I love in that first issue when uh, he's diving around and finds the knife, you know, yeah, the first, like... that's such a little kid thing. And it's, yeah, it's, it's great that these are moms that, you know, and I love that you're, you're flashing backward and forward to when they were young and just getting into the business and stuff to, also today, trying to get back in it with the uh, hindrances of, of being a mom or being a working woman and 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 all all that entails and everything. It's it's hilarious. Well, thank you. Yeah, and it was also really important to me to show that this is Dominic's view of his parents. You know, we're not we're not just looking at uh, you know the fact that people are old and once were once did different things. It's more the fact that like when we look at Dominic, it's like you know, we all have to deal with the fact that our parents were, were people, right. you know, our people <laughs> are, are, weren't just put on this earth to raise us, that they were kids, that they've made bad decisions, that they have regrets, that they have flaws. Um, and like that moment when you realize that you're an adult and your parents are adults too, is like a really strange, like moment, I think that sure. we don't see explored in media a whole lot. And that's a big part of Dominic's, um, you know, his, his experience in the book is, mm-hmm. is the realization of like, you know, there's the, you know, the obvious a plot. Do I, do I do my mom's dirty work or not? But then there's the, the, the thing of it of like, you know, he finds it really strange and embarrassing that his mom was into all this stuff. But then we have like Taylor who's like, that's cool. Your mom's a <laughs> badass. Your dad was hot, you know? And it's like, I feel like a lot of us have been there too, where it's like, oh, this is an embarrassing thing about my parents and your friends are like, oh, this is fabulous. This is cool. You know, and at the same time, you know, Octavia is not always as accepting as she should be of, or she says she's accepting me isn't of, you know, Dominic's sexuality and other things like that. So it's, it's meant to be a really complicated book, which is why I'm really happy to have Gilbert on it because he can make things that are complicated in, in interpersonal relationships, funny and heartwarming and sweet, even, and even if there are, Guns and lizards. <laughs> <laughs> iguanas, exactly. What is it with iguanas, man? Help me out, because I think to uh, the Simpsons and uh, one of Marge's sisters, Jub-Jub or whatever. Jub-Jub. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'm a huge Simpsons fan, so I think that probably was my subconscious inspiration, <laughs> but I haven't considered that until just now. Um, yeah, it was just like, I, okay, I love lizards and snakes. Cool. Like, um, I, and like... I, I really think that, like, if I ever wanted to get a dog, I would just get, like, a big lizard instead that I could, like, walk on a leash. I don't know. I think they're really funny, weird little creatures. Oh, and yeah. I think that there's also something, like, um, funny about an assassin wanting to be nurturing. And so she gets something that's, like, cold-blooded and alien. Uh <laughs> They also like live a really long. They don't live a really long time, but they live like they can live like twenty or thirty years. So oh, that's I wanted. Cool. That's a great yeah, bet. Oh my god! So I wanted to have something that like, I mean, not all of them do. Obviously, in captivity, some of them don't live that long. You know, Susan's an exception, uh, but not a, not an unnatural one. Okay. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to have a pet that could ha- could still be around and could still be a connection to the past. And I figured this like weird cold-blooded dinosaur was a good yeah <laughs> was a good 
choice. And that, and, and, and you know, that's just other Shelley brilliance too, being like, you know, you should have something in this book that's like a, a you know, people like cute animals, people like cute babies. And, and sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know if that should go with the book. But then sometimes I'm like, no, that's, that's absolutely correct. And this book needs a, an iguana. That's a long time. I also love the roller rink because, and I remember either you talking about it in New York or Shelly telling me in our conversation. Um, but yeah, that killed me. And you know, it's funny in Chicago, we just had like a really popular roller rink go down. And I'll, you know, I work at uh, the CBS news station, and uh, we had a we had a story about it. And all these parents are like, "Oh man, it really sucks," because you know it was a great place to take the kids and everything. And I just yeah. love that idea that while that's going on as well, that. Uh, you know, drug deals are happening, and this guy's facilitating these assassins with this roller skate, the skating rink front, and everything. Yeah, else. you know, that's then, awesome. And that, like, the skating rink in a weird way becomes like this place where you know uh, Octavia and Carlos come together over the years <laughs> to talk about various things. Like, it's like the site of all of their like biggest, um, like fight things are. Like, I think there are more flashback sequences at the roller rink than there are of them actually fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and like killing bad guys because I'm sure. just more interested in writing that. Um, but yeah, and it's like there's something. Plus, it was really, really fun to you know. There's something kind of retro. They're kind of out of time. There's something that like in the past the roller rink is crowded and, and busy and cool, and then in the modern days it's like it's kind of crappy. You go there to pick <laughs> weapons. Yeah. Um, there's a roller rink in the town where I live that like sometimes I want to go there, but sometimes I think they might be doing the same. <laughs> I, I remember you saying that in New York. I understand. Yeah. Where I'm like, you know, but also it was really fun because we were like, let's do this like retro roller disco thing. And it's like, Dato is like, disco? Really? Like, he's such a punk. And we were like having so much fun making him draw disco. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's fantastic. Seriously, I love the Black Crown books. And I hope they're reaching the intended audience because, you know, we all miss Shelley's voice. I mean, I'm with you on that. I, I think some of the best Vertigo books were her books. And this really needed to happen. And that's why when she announced the line... I'm like, oh, this is great. And then also these, this idea of, you know, pairing vets with, you know, pe- people that are, you know, newer. And um, it's it's been a great collaboration, I think. I think Milligan's Kid Lobotomy is great. I got to oh, read yeah. more. I'm really only reading uh, that in Assassinistas right now. But, you know, in the back of the books, there's... Punk's all- Not Dead is amazing. I mean, not just saying that as someone that does Black Crown books, like, that, Punk's Not Dead is very, very good. I highly recommend it if you All right. That good out. to know. Absolutely. Well, again, and, uh, you know, we're getting good samples at the back of the books as well. But uh, what kind of feedback are you getting on Assassinistas from the readers? Um, it's been great. I think one of my favorite stories that happened, uh, that was feedback, was just a few weeks ago, I was at a convention... And um, one of the convention staff, you know, came up and, and picked up the first, you know, several copies and took them home or took the took them and then came back later that day. I was like, hey, I read them already. I blew through them. They were great. I was like, thank you so much. And then he's like, well, I'm going home, you know, I've got my family at home. And he comes back the next day and he goes, uh, so my wife doesn't really read comics. But this morning she was sitting at the table and she was feeding our three month old. And she, you know, she's kind of stuck there for a little bit while she feeds the baby. And so she grabs issue one and flips through it, reads the whole thing. She said she slid it back, switched boobs, grabbed number two. And it's like, I like this. I feel seen. And I was like, perfect. That's the best feedback I could have possibly gotten is that she was reading it while breastfeeding. Absolutely. You need a photo of that for the letter page. That's fantastic. Well, he said he was like, I was going to take a photo, but I figured she might not be. I was like, yeah, you know. 
I feel like I trust your story uh, without you having to like sneak photos That's of your breastfeeding true. wife so I can print them. That sounds like I, 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 I'm usually not at my best when I'm eating breakfast, reading comics in the morning. I can't imagine that if I was feeding a toddler or a yeah. tiny baby, I would look uh, any better. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah. I was like, I love feedback like that. I, I have a couple people who I've heard from a couple people like I don't read comics, but I like this, and oh, that's, that's always the the best kind of feedback. Absolutely. That you know, people who you usually ordinarily wouldn't pick up a comic picked it up because it reminds them of something they like, or because they saw a character that you know was a mom, and maybe they're a mom, or they saw you know the women in the book that you know re- responded to them, or. Um, made them feel included or, or the male characters and, and flip through them. And I like, this is, this is good. I like this. And that makes me happy because, you know, to me, when I think of the comics that are most important to me, it's, it's the, the comics that I, you know, I maybe picked up and I was like, Oh, I'm not, I mean, being, being a young woman, I didn't go into comic shops a lot. I, I got my comics from, uh, libraries and bookstores, which okay. is I think part of why I read so many like you know non superhero comics was because that was kind of the audience for them. Superhero comics have always kind of been the purvey the, the realm of of comic stores. And when I got older and I started going into comic stores, I started reading superhero comics and I love them now. But um, for a long time I, I I didn't. So to me, it's really important to make books that speak to people that aren't um, necessarily comic readers. And it's hard because when you're you know, when you're doing the floppies on the shelf thing, when you're doing that first six months or a year where your book is just floppies on a shelf, right. you know, you're never you're never going to sell Batman numbers with a, a book well, like sure. Assassinistas or Euthanauts. But you hope, and I'm really hoping, you know, Assassinistas comes out in trade this summer. And I'm really excited for that because I think that a lot of our readers um, are going to be the people who pick our book up at the library, who pick our book up at the bookstore, who um, pick our book up because they're looking for a paperback in the section of... Um, you know, the books that they, they might feel, you know, like they, that they, they're not, um, you know, into, into one type of comics or another, but I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to, for the book to get into trade. Cause in this, in this market, it's like, you kind of accept that, you know, you're never going to sell Batman numbers with floppies. You just hope that you can get the book into trade and that you can reach the people that are really, uh, clamoring for it there. And that's what I want. I mean, cause like, nothing feels better than people saying, I don't read comics, but I read this. I'm like, sure, please. You can read all my books. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I and I understand. Now, I want to get into your early days and how you got into comics. But before we leave that, two things. One, the trade's coming out. Is it going to be the first six issues or the first five issues? It'll be the first six issues. Okay. So, so we have one more chapter to go. Yeah. We have okay. one more issue. And then it should be out in August, I believe. Okay. It is. So it's, it's put together. The, all six issues are done. You'll have issue with six soon if you're a floppy reader. Yeah. And... Um, and then the trade should be out very shortly. So hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully people will get to enjoy them. But I've, I've gotten to look over the, you know, the, the, the compiled PDFs. And it's beautiful. Cool. Uh, Shelly and, and Philip and everybody at Blackground has just put an amazing amount of work into making a really gorgeous book. And I, I can't wait to hold it in my hands. So, Are you going to have uh, back matter in the trade or is that just for the floppies? There's some extra stuff. Um, I don't know. If, we're not doing quite the same back matter. We're reprinting some of it. The uh, character design, some of the covers, cool. um, some of the letters between, you know, Gilbert and I early on. Oh, good. Um, yeah, Shelly's printing some of our script pages and some of our letters from early on when we started collaborating with little notations and stuff. So it's really cool. You'll get to see. Because a lot of people ask. They say, what is it like? How do you write a script? Sure. Absolutely. An Eisner Hall of Famer for a legend. And, and I'm like, well, I... 
I write it just like everyone else, but with a lot of love letters in there. You know, I write it the same, <laughs> the same way I usually write a script. Um, I talk to my artists a lot in my script. I talk to my letters. I talk to my colorists. Like, I like, you know, a lot of my scripts have me saying, you know, hey, so-and-so, you know, feel free to do this. Or, hey, so-and-so, like, um, that thing you did on this other issue, can we do that again here? You know, um, I... I mean, I, I enjoy the fact that the people I'm writing and working with are creatives in their own right. And I like to see what they do. So I, I do a lot of talking to them in my scripts and, and um, you know, being excited about what I know they bring to it as well. But when you're working with someone like Gilbert Hernandez, it's a lot of like, hi, oh my gosh, you're still here. You've, you've drawn four of these books for me and you're going to keep trying. Uh, I can't believe that. <laughs> is is he um, going to continue? I mean, I know you're, you're, I mean, what, what is the plan? You know, how, how often do you think you're going to be putting it out? Is it, I mean, it's been coming out monthly, obviously. Is, is, sure. is this an ongoing and is Gilbert going to be part of the ongoing? Uh, well, number six is the end of the, the story. Okay. Um, I'm, you know, I, there are other things I would write. I've, I've joked about wanting to do a, you know, like the, the, a one shot lazy season adventure. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would love to like come back, you know, if the, if the trade does well, if people are big fans, I would love to come back to the story again and do little things here and there. But, um, you know, Beto has his own books to get back to. And, and, uh, yeah. and I've got a lot, you know, invested in euthanauts right now. So okay. but I would love to come back to the world and, and do more, but six is for now, six is the end you know, our assassinesis trade will be, it's not a volume one for now. It's, it's our okay. story. But uh, who knows? You know, it's it's great. Honestly, it's uh, it, I think it's funny, and it uh, you you point out the uh, the great differences of of a woman assassin versus uh, a, a man, a man uh, you know, men doing the job. And I love there's a I don't even want to spoil it if people haven't read it yet. But there's a nod to a Godfather scene that you put a very I think uh, female spin on. And, Which scene? Oh, uh, well, uh, I don't want to spoil. Well, I'll tell you, and you'll tell, tell me, me offline. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's well, we'll we'll edit this out. It's uh, the uh, the bathroom where she reaches for the weapon in the tampon box. I thought oh, that yes. was very Michael Corleone. <laughs> And the yes, bathroom getting you. the gun. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Godfather fan, so I was like, oh, which one? <laughs> like, <laughs> is there more yeah, Godfather well, in there that I'm not reading, up, picking up? No, on? no. I mean, just in general, on that, you know, it sure. influences a great, a great film and a pretty good book, and it. <laughs> <laughs> It influences a lot of my writing. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was fun to do things like that, to think of, of gadgets and, and items and, and things that to me are obvious, but maybe aren't because a lot of the genre is very like defined and written by men. Sure. Um, and like, you know, I love, I like, I obviously love Kill Bill. Obviously, it's one of my favorite Absolutely. films ever. I watched it again recently for the first time since writing Assassinistas, and I realized that like first scene between Bernie DeGreen and Beatrix Kiddo with like the school bus and the cereal while they're fighting is like so much of the aesthetic of Assassinistas was just beamed into my head from that scene. Yep. But a lot of it was because, you know, Kill Bill is amazing. But at the same time, I was like, I feel like there's a lot more that we could go into with these women about them being women that we're not because the writer is male and does, and I'm not a mother. So there's a lot even that I don't understand a lot of Dominic's perceptions of Octavia or have to do with my own perception of my mother and the mothers I know in my life. Okay. Um, and the fact that as a woman in her mid thirties, I have a lot of thoughts about mothering and motherhood, even if I haven't done it myself because you're kind of forced to, um, but, uh, you know, yeah, there are things like that, like, um, you know, things that a lot of men might find mysterious or distasteful that women would just find as utilitarian in the same situation, like hiding a gun in a tampon box or um, <laughs> just 
like things that are like, well, obviously that's a place that no one would look because everyone would be either like grossed out by it or they wouldn't even think of it. Whereas like, you know, a, it's a, a place that a, a woman would be like, obviously I can hide this and, right. and no, in, in plain sight. And so just for me, it was like, as a woman writer, it was really fun to do that, to be like, what I did inject a lot of, you know, it's like, you know, and like often in action movies, you know, when guys, you know, get a shot off on the bad guy, they're like, you know, you've, you know, you, you won't get me or, you know, you won't come after my family or anything anymore. And it's like, you know, there's a moment where one of the assassins to shoot someone and she's like, you felt up your last receptionist, you know, like <laughs> They're able to get out their own, like their own kind of, of, you know, because I, I like action movies, obviously, but there's a lot of that like impotent male rage and it's like, well, it's funny to do that like impotent female rage too, right? Like you, that like, you know, this is for every guy that ever, you know, put a hand on my leg when he was offering me a job. Like, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good stuff, Tini. Honestly, it's very, very Thank funny. You. Great levels. And yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. And like I said, that's why I was very anxious to talk to you, among your other books as well. Well, let's do the origin of Teeny Howard. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and you, you started to say, obviously, that you got into comics through libraries and stuff like that. And forgive me, I, I, I have you been writing prose for a long time alongside comics? Um, so I wrote, I like writing short stories. Uh, my, my truth is that, like, I, I've written my whole life. I've written a lot of prose because it's just kind of what was there to write. Sure. Um, I've written short stories. I've tried to write a couple books. I've written, you know, I wrote, there were long periods of my life where I was still writing, but the only stuff I was writing was just like fan fiction for fun, you know, like just, yeah. um, what, kind, what, what, what subjects are fan fiction? Oh, well, in my teen years, I wrote a lot of like vampire chronicles, like Anne Ray. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> fan fiction, sure. Right. Yeah. Well, of course. Uh, why not? Like, you know, Final Fantasy and books, okay. books and and video games and everything I read that I was into and I would think oh my god well I love this character but they don't have a backstory or oh my god these characters totally should have kissed and didn't or <laughs> you know just all that sure. kind of fleshing out of characters and 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 so it's like I have a natural knack for coming up with stories it's you know ultimately what I do when I'm left to my own devices is like disassociate and think about stuff um so for me it's just been like a lifelong attempt at trying to put those thoughts into words okay um and like those story makes narrative stories out of these feelings and these emotions and these moments i want to convey um but i i realized when i sat out and was like okay let's try to do something with this writing like i really like to write let's 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 try to make something of it i realized that you know when i my whole life when i've just reached for a book and i can choose any book in the world i've always chosen graphic novels and sequential art um, like I've always chosen graphic novels and sequential art. Like, so, you know, and no matter what the, the topic is, like if I would at the the library or the bookstore, I would go to the graphic novel section and I wasn't even necessarily looking for books like Sandman or, or whatever. It's like, or books like Hellboy, you know, it was like, I would pick up if there was a, uh, if I could read, you know, uh, Jane Eyre or the Marvel classic adaptation of Jane Eyre, I would rather read the comic one. Okay. So at some point I was like, well, why am I trying to write what I don't most love reading? And I, even though I had read all these books that were just written by authors without artists, I didn't know that that was possible. So, uh, and I didn't actually really think about it. even though I knew Neil Gaiman wasn't drawing Sandman. Uh, it didn't really occur to me until I read like Matt Fraction's Invincible Iron Man run because I had just gotten into superhero comics after watching the first Iron Man movie. So I am one of the people that was brought into superhero comics by the movies. That's and cool. By 
friends and, and my husband who were reading superhero comics and said, hey, you know, you should you like this movie. You should try it. I was like, no, superhero comics are dumb. Um, you know, they're not serious, like the stuff I read. And he was like, I think that's crap and you should give it a try. That's excellent. That, but, that's very cool. No, go on. Continue. Um, yeah. So uh, I was like, yeah, you know, so I read Invincible Iron Man and I had my mind blown and I was like, oh, my God, superhero comics are really good. And I really like this one. And it's super serious and intense and, and, and personal to the character. So uh, I, I started looking into, you know, who this not fraction guy was. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I really like his work. And he just he just writes it. He doesn't draw it. No crap. I, I didn't know you could do that. So I, I, from there, I was like, well, that's that's what I want to do. I want to write scripts for comic books because. Those are my favorite things to read, so I want them to be my favorite thing to write. And they are. They're by far my favorite thing to write. So was the Black, and forgive me, the Black Mass title that you did, what was it again? The Skeptics. The Skeptics, okay. Was that your first printed uh, comic? Like, what, what were your earlier comics? Um, so my first my first comic that I you know had published was actually through um, Top Cow. They did their Talent Hunt, which yeah. was like, I think they did, they were you know, part of Image, they did Witchblade and all that. Mm-hmm. So they had their... Uh, talent hunt which was to write for one of their like top cow universe characters and there were some restrictions to it you basically just had to follow the restrictions and write a compelling story and uh i i took my best shot at that and uh like they won and i i was really proud of it so that was my first from then it was like okay it was my first full length it was kind of crazy too because most of the time it's like your first printed comic is not also your first full length script i'd written comic scripts before. well that's not true i'd written I'd written full-length scripts for my own stuff, but nothing that had ever gone anywhere. Okay. What was the, um, what was the Top Cow character? I chose Magdalena. Oh, who sure. I actually wrote a – I later went on to co-write a graphic novel, a Magdalena graphic novel with uh, with Ryan Katie and Christian Dabari called uh, Magdalena uh, Reformation. Okay. But um, my that that was my first attempt at writing Magdalena. It was like a – I, I got to write Sarah Pizzini, the old Witchblade character who I loved. It was like her tell, you know, she found this artifact and it had to do with Magdalena. And cause I remember reading the Magdalena stories and I was like, you know, the earliest one they talk about is in like 16th century France. And I was like, well, wouldn't there be, if this goes back to the time of Christ, like how did these artifacts get to Europe? And I was like, well, how did every holy artifact get to Europe through people stealing them sure, through the crusades? Sure. <laughs> so I wrote like a post crusade story oh, about cool. this artifact, just, you know, getting to Europe because I'm a kind of a history geek. So, awesome. uh, yeah. And then from, from there I was like, oh my gosh, now I have a printed comic in my hand. It has that image eye on it. I can take it to people and say, I'm a real writer. And I did, and 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 that didn't get me much of anywhere. But what got me much of anywhere was uh, continuing to do anthologies and submitting to places and getting a lot of rejections, and um, you know, designing. Uh, finally, I, I designed the idea for Skeptics and um, brought it to Black Mask, and and they liked it and they published it, and that was like. I had done a couple – I was glad that I had done a couple things. Like I had done a couple anthology pieces. I had done uh, a couple things for Top Cow at that point, like one or two, um, and then got thrown into making my own creator-owned series, which was huge, hugely different. And I think a lot of people in comics come from that like punk rock ethos background where they've been making their own stuff. Like they've already made several comics – um, by the time they get like a, a creator owned series mm-hmm. picked up. And I had been in a completely different situation where every comic I had made from that had been like with an editor holding my hand. Uh, so it was like it, out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, but I'm, I'm very proud of the book. Like it, it was, 
it was one of those books where it was so stressful that when I finished it, I was just like, I can't even look at it for a minute. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and then when I looked at it again, you know, recently, I'm very, very proud of this book. Um, unfortunately, it's not available in trade yet. Oh. I'm hoping that Black Mask will print it at some point, but I think the single issues are still available. I was going to say, so. and I'm sure Comixology, obviously. I'm sure digitally. Yes. Okay. Digitally, it's available on Comixology and it's available, uh, you know, comic shops can order the single issues. I think they can even be ordered on the Black Mask store. Um, but it's not out in trade yet. We're hoping that, crossing fingers, that they'll release it when they can. Well, I hope so. I would certainly think uh, as your star ascends that, you know, they'll be smart and, and release it. That usually seems to be the way. I know Remender and Fraction, a lot of their early stuff and everything suddenly, you know, became back yeah. in as, as they as their, like I said, as their star rose. So, you know. Yeah, I was I was joking about that. I was like, well, you're not, you know, you're not, <laughs> you're not really a comics writer if you don't have like a backlog of forgotten series that will someday be released so but that's a great thing honestly because i mean i i know from reader experience myself you know you read stuff and go well wait a minute let me go back and read the earlier stuff and, and see what that was Absolutely. so certainly oh yeah fantastic that's excellent well and now i want to talk about rick and morty because i am so late to the game on rick and morty i literally only started watching it last fall during the third season because dan slot not to name drop but it's like why aren't you watching this show you would love this show and of course I do, and it's it's brilliant. And again, shows your strength in humor because the only books well, are fantastic. Absolutely, the only books are great. And if they are great, and yeah, if people aren't you know people who are listening aren't reading the only comics, they're fantastic. And and you know you and you and Starks are uh, I think a great team. And I oh you know, I love that guy. He, he, well, yeah, you know I I knew his independent uh, humor books as well. So at first I'm like, oh, that's cool that Kyle's doing Rick and Morty. And then I saw you're doing it after I had already started reading Assassinistas. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Okay, great. And no, you guys have that in the in the same way that the Simpsons comics in the right hands are just as good as the episodes and stuff. No, I think you guys are hitting the mark with uh, with the Rick and Morty comics, definitely. Yeah. Um... I so I was a fan of the comics even before I started writing for them. So I, I watched the whole show. I like binge watched the whole show and was like, oh my god, this is like absolutely my sense of humor. And I think it was like the few weeks leading up to Emerald City, and I had a meeting scheduled with Ari, uh, who was the editor on the Rick and Morty books at the time, just to talk about something else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember I like uh, the I remember I, I watched the whole show, and then my husband and I went to the comic shop that we just pick up books and we saw there were like Rick and Morty trades and he grabbed like the first two. And I was like, Oh my God, I got to read those and you're done. We like read those in two days. And I was like, I got to work on these comics. And he was like, you should, you should do it. You should ask for it. And I was like, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not smart enough to write Rick and Morty. Like it's funny. It's there's not, like, it, I feel like I really believe that it's, you have to be really smart to write dumb humor. I agree. Um, yes. <laughs> Cause it's like the whole, one of those rules of comedy is like, you don't write the first joke that comes to your head. You write like the second, the third, the fourth. <laughs> Um, and I was like, oh my God, but I'm, I'm obsessed. Like, because it's, it was so many things I love, right? Like I love, like I grew up reading stacks and stacks of classic sci-fi, like Asimov and Bradbury. And, and so many of the episodes are based around these like sci-fi tropes that originated with like these old classic sci-fi stories or just like action movies and stuff like that. But I mean, in a lot of ways, a lot of the episodes are based around like subverting a sci-fi trope and they're just, it's just very bleak humor, which I love. And (laughs) I think there's kind of a heartfelt message there, even the idea of like, well, if nothing matters, then the only thing that matters are like the things that make you happy and the people you love. Yep. So, uh, 
that being said, um, I was like, I absolutely want to write so many stupid jokes. I just, I, I asked Ari if I could pitch and, uh, I got to pitch and I kind of jokingly called my story pocket, like you stole it. And then they kept that name, which I love. It's like one of my favorite titles I've ever come up with. And I totally thought they were going to be like, nice try Howard, but nope, that's the name of the book. Uh, then again, the other one's called little poopy superstar. So I guess that was okay. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's been awesome working on those books. Like, just being a fan of a comic and then getting to be part of it is great. I, I'm really lucky. I know people joke about Rick and Morty fans being crazy, but I've had awesome interactions with the fans that have talked to me and come up to me. I've had people take pictures of me, bring me presents, have me sign birthday presents for people, have me sign all sorts of stuff, have me draw pictures for them. I've, you know, I've had like I've had people run up to my table in their Rick and Morty costumes so excited to take pictures with me and that's like as someone who cosplayed for years when I went to comic cons and anime cons that is like the coolest thing sure so. who did you cosplay as oh all sorts of, I cosplayed as so many characters probably like some of the major ones I did were like uh like Asajj Ventress from Star Wars okay. I liked playing her a lot and like I cosplayed Spider-Woman oh like, great Jessica Drew, Jessica Drew Spider-Woman and like uh like Madam Hydra and Maria Hill and just a bunch of random like dark-haired Marvel chicks. That's awesome. <laughs> like, That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. And tell me about working with Starks because yeah, I think you know I, I met Kyle on a on a panel. I moderated a panel at one of Tony Moore's uh, Cincy comes. And uh, mm-hmm. that's when I first met Kyle and became aware of his work. And I think, yeah, his his you know individual stuff is amazing. And uh, yeah, no, like I said, it was it was great to see you guys working together because I think I'm a fan of both of yours, so that's really cool. Oh yeah, I love Kyle's work. Sex Castle is such a great book. I keep sure. telling him, I'm like, where's the Sex Castle Assassinistas crossover? Like totally. Oh my like, god! Like how badly do you want that? Right? Like I want Shane to hang out with Octavia so much. Um, <laughs> No, I, I love Sex Castle a lot. Like, Kyle's an amazing writer. Um, so it's really, really great to to collaborate with him. And he, like, I mean, we joke that, like, he's he's Rick and Morty's stepdaddy and I'm Rick and Morty's cool aunt. Because we're not their mommies and daddies. That's, you know, that's sure. Dan Harmon and, and Justin Ryland. But he's, he's their stepdaddy and I'm their cool aunt. <laughs> um, and we try to shepherd them into fun adventures. But, yeah, Kyle, we do, we do a ton of cons together and panels together. And it's just, it's always a blast. Like, he's a really, really smart, funny guy. And, you know, I just co-wrote two issues with him and I okay. felt like out of breath. I just felt like out of breath trying to keep up with him. He's so <laughs> funny and he's got, he, he has so much of the visual humor because he's an artist as well. Sure. Uh, he has so much visual humor, like down pat, like he just comes up with great visual background jokes. Whereas I'm like, you know, a pure writer. So I'm very like dialogue and I try to make good visual stuff in my comics, but I, I, I'm not thinking of it from the same perspective of someone who's like, a visual humorist and who draws his own uh, really great stories like Kyle. So it's great. It's fun. I I learn a lot working with him and and trying to keep up with him. So I hope I get to keep working with him. I like it. (laughs) And are you, are you, you said you're doing the backups. Is that on the current run or is that coming up? What's going on? Uh, It's starting with number 41. Okay. God, they've already had 41 Uh, issues. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. I'm doing the backups for the next five. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's fun. It's a, it's a little a little story we're doing, and it's uh, Rick and Morty's adventures in the public domain. Okay. <laughs> so, so they meet Sherlock Holmes. They meet like people like they that. meet. Yeah, they meet Sherlock Holmes and Tom Sawyer and Cthulhu. <laughs> and, uh, I can only imagine. Uh, That's great. Uh, yeah. That's like, fantastic. Well, Ricky, yeah. Ricky Tiki Tabby and Jane Eyre and all that. So <laughs> it's basically just me um, taking all those years. I, I tried to be a prose writer and English writing major and just 
yeah, making fun of them mercilessly. <laughs> That's <laughs> putting fantastic. them in microwaves. <laughs> Excellent. And then, you know, I'm really glad that uh, you and Seely found each other and you got to do some hack slash. Because uh, you know, I haven't, and forgive me, I haven't read it yet. But uh, that's awesome that you got. I, I, I think your sensibilities fits the hack slash universe very comfortably. Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel that way too. Um, I really, really love Tim's work. Actually, the first time I talked to Tim was because when he was writing Grayson, I got asked to write an essay for a book that was compiling like. Um, uh, like academic essays about Dick Grayson for the 75th anniversary of Robin. Oh, that's great. So I wrote an essay about how I was like a longtime Dick Grayson fan who was really skeptical about Grayson, but then really loved the run because I specifically felt like they used the character's sexuality and toxic masculinity in a lot of really clever ways to both tie the character to the people that he cares. Like the, the, the whole thing was, you know, how they basically pulled the character away from his life and all these people he loves, but then they were very aware of that and they used it in a lot of really clever ways. Totally. So I sent Tim the essay just as like a, um, just like a thank you because I think, you know, I, I was just like, Hey, I, I think you're a really great writer. I, his Witchblade run is one of my favorites. I was a big Hackslash fan. Cool. I was just like, Tim, I think you're a really great writer. I, I love your work. I wrote this essay about it. I wanted to share it with you and with Tom King, who was co-writing the book with him. Sure. And, uh, he, you know, he, he really liked it. And, and, and we became friendly from then. And then he reached out to me. We just kept in touch and he reached out to me to ask me to write, um, to write Hackslash. And I was like, I couldn't say yes fast enough. Like I, I joke that I'm like, I, I love it. Like I am Cassie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, it's such a great gig. You know, I'm working on, uh, issue 10 right now and it's, it's so much fun. I've gotten to write Vampirella. I've gotten to write, um, uh, just all these horror characters that I've, you know, and, and I wanted to homage an issue seven that just came out. I got to kind of poke at the, the Warrens who are, you know, the, the couple that's infamous from like the conjuring and all those. Um, it's, it's a blast. That's excellent. No, I, um, I, I've seen pictures of you with Tim and, and, and Tom King. So, you know, I knew obviously you guys were friends and everything though. No, that's, that's really cool. Oh, I'm a test now mentioning Dick Grayson and everything. I just had Dan Brereton on, and we were talking about the thrill killer books that he and Chaikin did with uh, Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon. And yeah, stuff. yeah. What do you think of that uh, series? Um, I have a huge love for like Elseworlds and just like sure. weird interpretations of characters. And I think that's because I grew up like reading so much fan fiction, which Makes does sense. a lot of like let's take these characters and put them in space or put them at a coffee shop or whatever. Sure. <laughs> So I love that stuff. So like I have like so many of those like throw color. I have like Robin three thousand and like oh that was those, good sure yeah like Gotham by Gaslight like all those Elseworlds books. I love that like Multiversity series that Grant Morrison yes. is a huge Morrison fan. Um, and I, I I love that idea of like these characters are archetypes and how do we explore their archetypes in different situations. So I mean I have a deep love for the for the whack nineties and two thousands uh, world of. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, um, I'd love to see you write Dick Grayson at some point. I hope uh, I hope that happens at some point. I'd love to do that. I mean, I it's funny. It's like when you like a character so much, it's a little intimidating because I'm like, you know, you feel like you've read every take on them possible. And you're like, uh, I don't know if I could. I always joke that I'm like, maybe I'd be better at writing Red Hood. Um, but, oh, that's interesting. Oh, very interesting. Uh, but yeah, that would be, it would be a lot of fun. I would. There's a lot of characters I would love to write someday and definitely uh, – you know, some aspects of the Bat family are there. I would love to write Dick Grayson as Batman again. That was like oh, one of sure. my favorite. That Batman and Robin, Grant Morrison, and uh, Frank Quitely series is like 
super. Oh yeah. Well, super formative to me. One of my all time faves. So. Well, and again, and I mean, again, as an older reader, I know that you know there's so many levels to Dick Grayson and his relationship not only to Batman but to the whole DC universe. That was one of the great things when I when I would talk to Jeff Johns. I mean, you know, Jeff got it, where it's like everybody in the DC universe loves Dick Grayson because yeah. he's like the Batman that is, you know, personable and relatable. And it did, I mean, it, it it's interesting because I think it is more complicated. Like, you could say on the surface, being Batman's, uh, you know, sidekick and ward didn't screw him up. But it's like, no, nah, that's not exactly right. Actually, there's a lot buried, in you know, down in the psyche and stuff. And, and I agree with you. I think yeah. the Grayson series was able to explore what it's like when he is out in the cold as a spy would be yeah. and stuff. But yeah, go on. Yeah. Tell me about your thoughts on all that. Well, the thing, you know, I love, I love great duos. Um, I love the like master student relationship and like sure. anything. I think that there, it's really cool. And I mean, there's, you know, that's definitely something I do like in assassinesis even, you know, we see a lot of Dominic definitely. being like, this is what it's like to grow up in the shadow of someone like that. And that's a lot of that is definitely born from feelings I have about like characters like Batman and Robin. And, um, you know, when I wrote Magdalena, a big thing was like patience and, uh, Maya were in a lot of ways. We, we said they were like, uh, Bruce Wayne and Terry McGinnis from Batman beyond. Sure. Interesting. Um, yeah. That was like a. I was like, I really wanted to do like Batman beyond, but I also really wanted to explore a master student relationship where the teacher was female because you just don't see enough of that, agreed. I think. No, so, agreed. like, you know, like we made Patience and Magdalena, we made her. We didn't want to get rid of her because a lot of times in comics, it's like, oh, this woman is over 25. She disappears and she's never seen again. Um, and I hate that. Yeah, so, like, yeah. you know, I wanted to make Patience a teacher. I wanted to make, um, you know, I, I wanted to make Octavia, you know, someone that is looked up to and is a, a master. And then, you know, in Assassinist, not to spoil anything, but there's. Um, also a character who views Blood Diamond as as her master and teacher yep. and um, yep. uh, and and is a completely different kind of person. Um, so and, and there are reasons for that, you know, in the text. But I, I really love that. I really love the idea of of putting uh, anything with a, a master student relationship in comics. And I and I it's definitely tied to my love for Batman and Robin, my huge fandom of those characters and. You know, and, and with if you're a you know every person talks about how the how different the you know the robins are, and I think that that's, those are all great examples of how just changing one aspect of uh, a person or a relationship or their past can completely change who they were. And superhero comics do so much of that. You know, everyone's had their own interpretation of what if the death of Batman's parents went differently, or or what if this person wasn't here? I mean, Marvel did the whole does the whole what if series. It's just about what if this one thing changed sure. and how would it change the whole world. And I think with interpersonal relationships, that's a huge thing as well. You know, if one moment in that relationship changes or never happens, um, how does it change the people and the characters? And, you know, there's even, I mean, I, I, I even put a character into upcoming uh, Hexosh issues who's like an older woman who is like a, um, not, not so much a mentor, but like, you know, just an older woman because I just like to have women in comics that aren't 25. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's important to not, you know, um, to not forget that. No, I agree, that. agreed. And, you know, yeah. I was mad when, uh, and I know that eventually they're coming back, but I thought the JSA comic that uh, Johnson, James Robinson, and all those guys did was a great way to show older heroes mentoring. And, uh, yeah. and I mean, hearing you talk, I'd love to see, like, Wonder Woman really have a great adventure with uh, Donna Troy and Cassie. And is it Cassie that's... Uh, that's Cassie Sands, right? Yeah. yeah, that's Wonder yeah, Girl. All right, I want to make sure I'm getting my Cassie straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, see, see Wonder Woman more as a mentor to Donna and and to to Wonder Girl, and I and I don't know if that's happened that much 
Uh, or if, you know, or if she isn't to explore that absence and, and to deal with that feeling of maybe like, why was I here and you weren't here for me? Oh, like, yeah. you know, that's, that's another thing too, is like to explore. There are things, I think one of the things when it comes to like, especially superhero comics and, and things where it feels like every event has been explored 10 ways. I really like to explore the absence of things. You know, Understood. if there's a time where a character's gone for 20 years, it's like that that might affect the people that knew them and loved them. Um, were they a part of that person's life or not? You know, I mean, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything new here that, you know, people like, you know, Tom King and Mitch Jarrett aren't saying on like Mr. Miracle, like that book is doing amazing meta things about being present and not being present. Yep. Um, and what that means. And I don't know. I, I, I like... Sure. <laughs> I, I, it's, I, for someone who writes a lot of very dumb, goofy comics, I get very philosophical about the origins behind them. Well, like you said, I think there are story opportunities here, and and yeah, I, I do hope that that's a really good point that the uh, the post twenty five female hero is really kind of not explored, and there's yeah, and and with the different generations, I mean, God, you know, uh, Mademoiselle from the original wasn't she like one of the original Suicide Squad people, and if not. You know, I know she was in DC War books and stuff. I mean, there are, there are right. great characters that they can pick. You can pick from the, the Silver and Bronze Age, and really bring right. back and 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 explore them as older heroes. Why not? Or creating new ones. Well, that too. too. You know, making making like you know, we see Octavia as a young woman, but in the you know, we know that that's the past. Like in, in Assassinistas, mm-hmm. it's like these women are. You know, they're the mothers of adult children. Like a, a big inspiration for that with me is is Sarah Connor and John Connor. Good is call. that I always, I, I love Sarah Connor, and I always grew up wanting to see a movie where like they were adults kicking ass together. And I really wanted Terminator Salvation to be that, and it wasn't. Yeah. And I was so mad. I really all I ever wanted was like, um, if John is the leader and not Sarah, why? Good call. Like, yeah. Does something happen yeah. to her? Or like, is he just the leader? And it's like, it's because he's the boy. It's because he's I hear the chosen boy and it was written by boys. And his mom's job is to bring him into the world. And the fact that she's a badass is just like secondary. And I hate that. Like, I love Terminator, but I hate that. So I was like, well, why not? Like, why? I was always like, I, I have, I, I could, I could do a lot with a Terminator. It <laughs> sounds like it. Well, Teeny, all right, the, let me, you know, let me ask you my, and, and truly dumb middle-aged white guys, I raise my hand. But I've, I always I usually ask this of uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, who I love and is like my little sister, uh, just from an I age I love standpoint. her, too. <laughs> I love her very much. Yeah, she's, she's, she's fantastic. Do you think... She's been there for me in my career since long before I had one. That's wonderful. So. Uh, and it's not surprising because I know she's that kind of person. Do you think it's getting better in terms of opportunities for women to jump in and write? Um... Okay, so I think that we're all at a phase right now where a lot of us want to make it better. I think a lot of us, I think there are a lot of people uh, who are super loud on the internet right now. Like if you're like, you know, there's really frustrating stuff going on in comics. There's really frustrating stuff going on in the Star Wars fandom. Um, I'll say as a, you know, as an able-bodied white woman, I, I have it a lot easier than a lot of people. Um, I think that it's getting better. Uh, I think it needs to get a lot better. Sure. Yeah, um, I'm not saying we're done. I'm not, yeah, yeah. We'll always solve that yeah, problem. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on. For sure. No, um, <laughs> there are a couple big things that I think uh, need to happen. I think we obviously need to start reaching out more to women 
to write outside their perspective, allowing uh, absolutely, you know, and 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 also, especially when we're hiring like uh, women of color or, or um, like disabled women or queer women, sure. like we need to make sure that it's like you know we're not hiring you specifically to write that. Um, yeah. Early in my career, I would sometimes reach out to you to ask to be asked to write properties that just obviously weren't something I enjoyed. Um, but, uh, you know, or I, or I would have people ask me for a pitch and I think they expected, you know, um, what I will, for lack of a better words, call a girl book. I like plenty of girl books. I'm a girl. There's nothing wrong with girl books, but I think that that's what they want. I think that they're in their mind. It was like, we need a girly book. Um, and I would pitch like something like skeptics and some people would be like, well, we were hoping you would send us something pink with magical girls because we want to sell to girls. <laughs> so I feel like a lot of companies have the, their, their, they have their, plan in place but it, their plan is flawed and i think it's because a lot of those plans are made by people in charge who are still not uh as diverse as they should be okay and i understand um yeah, yeah so i think uh you know we're definitely and i think a big thing is that the direct market is so far from the only way that people are are in you know reaching comics yes. these days and i think you know people like you know reina telgemeier absolutely dominating the industry yep. right now is is great um, I don't write a ton of young adult stuff. It's just not what I write, but I'm really hoping that those people who are reading Raina's books now are going to find my books in a few Agreed. years. Yes. Um, and, uh, I want to be there for them and I want them to feel represented and happy and, and, but at the same time to feel like they're getting, you know, good, good work and, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think a big thing, though, is like reaching out to like, I, I'll feel like things are a lot better when one of the big two announces their lineup of their next five big superhero number ones and three of the writers are women. I hear you. You yeah, know, yeah. like that's when I'll start to maybe feel a little better. There's this famous, I think it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Someone was like, uh, w would you feel better if the Supreme Court was half women? And she was like, the Supreme Court has been all men so many times. Why can't the Supreme Court be all women? Sure. And it like blew people's minds. And it's like, well, absolutely. I'm like, look, like I've seen a lot of announcements where every writer and artist was male or there was like the one woman that was like, okay, well, we got a girl so we can sleep. And it's like, yeah. I, no, no, I want to, yeah. Like I, I want to feel like me writing, um, you know, Batman or Iron Man is not out of the realm of possibility. I hear you. Um, and I don't necessarily feel like it's out of the realm of possibility. I completely um, agree with you. I, and you know, yeah. More, more importantly, I want it to not just be, you know, I'm not just saying that for me and for myself and for my career. I want to feel like, um, I want it to not be, you know, out of the realm of possibility. Quite a stunt or, or something out of the ordinary. I'm with you. Yeah. Like if yeah. I feel like, I want to feel like I'm, if I'm asked to write a big name character and I, if I have to do a pitch off that I'm also pitching against women of various backgrounds and people who my input is not just the token female input because my you. experience is not just the, the, the sole female experience. And it's absolutely, you know, far from being representative to all the women that are reading comics and, and sharing comics and enjoying them. Well, so. I, I agree. And I think again, good work can't be ignored. And I think, uh, you know, uh, things are, I think things are getting better. And of course we're, we're nowhere near done. It's just getting started. And let's hope that don't, as I'm sure you already know, don't don't let the idiots on social media fuck you up. And and you know, well, it's <laughs> the truth. I mean, seriously, because those assholes have always been there, and now they've got a little platform. But fuck them. And, and, and there's at the end of the day, let the they're doing it. Let them make their own comics. Fine, go make your own comics. Yeah. good for you. 
That's okay. I mean, like, There's room for everything. And that's my point is like, why are you so pissed off? There's room for everything. Right. Like I'm, I'm such a picky reader. Like I will buy a book, read 10 pages and set it down and never pick it up again if it just doesn't grab right. me. Um, and I encourage that because I think that I have a really – I feel like I have a really unique creative perspective. I really like the work I make. I really feel like I'm saying good things. And uh, I want everyone to feel that way when they're making art. But I think part of how we get there is by being picky and by being critical, um, which I encourage. I encourage people to be picky, to be critical, make your own art. But it's like at the point where you are brigading and harming and um, seeking people out um, because of who they are and not what they do and then trying to hide it behind that. You know, it's like we all know. Yeah. Like it's not it's not a secret that, you know, when people choose to go after people, they often choose to go after the most vulnerable and the most marginalized. And, um, you know, we see that. But that's fine. Like, I don't I don't mind it because, you know, I'm doing the work of my dreams right now. Excellent. So I'm I'm happy. Good. <laughs> um, I, I'm happy to uh, when I'm not working or playing video games to go outside and, and play in my garden and <laughs> think of more story ideas and, and support and lift up the voices and the people I believe in and the people that I don't, I am content with condemning them to silence. That a girl. Very cool. Well, let, now tell me about this, <laughs> this new uh, black crown series that you're getting started in July. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's with, uh, Nick Robles is my co-creator um, he is, he just did Alien Bounty Hunter for Vault. He's a brilliant, incredible artist. He's self-taught. Uh, he's like, if you're a fan of like, I, I, looking at his layouts on Ethan, that's all I have to tell people. is like, if you're a fan of like J.H. Williams' work on Batwoman Elegy, you're going to want to pick up everything Nick's ever done because he is a layout master. He is absolutely brilliant. Um, the book is, I should tell you what the book's about before I just talk about how much I love Nick. Uh, but so Euthanauts is about, um, the people who can travel into the beyond um, to kind of explore what lies after death. Uh, it's not, though, a book about heaven or hell or ghosts. Um, the way that the afterlife is explored is via imagine it's like a formless void, like space. It's there's a big nothing out there. And most of us can't hack it out there. Just like how if most of us tried to walk out our door into the blackness of space, we would just croak. Um, most people can't survive in the world after death for that reason. But some people who are basically able to prepare themselves for death in certain ways and, and maybe control the time and the hour of their death um, can form suits that are not allow them to explore the world after death. Um, and so it's about our main character, Talia, and the people that she meets that can also do this and the different perspectives that they share on death. Um and uh, she has a near-death experience that enables her to uh, walk in this world and become part of, and she becomes a very important part of it to the uh, the woman named Mercy Wolf, who is the a terminally ill scientist who has devoted her life to the study of death. So um, I'm very, very, it's the book I've written so far that feels the most like me, and a big part of that is that Nick's art is just so beautiful that he makes it me feel like the scripts I write are just better. Everything is just better realized by his hand. Um, I couldn't be doing a book like this without an editor like Shelly, who, I mean, literally I can just get on the phone and ramble for hours about how I don't know what I'm doing. And she'll say, sure you do. I took notes while you were rambling. Here's what you're doing. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) 
It doesn't surprise um, she's me. A, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, if I'm, she's one of those editors where it's like, if I'm stuck, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't dodge my editors anyway, but I know that some people get, it's like, oh, if I'm stuck and I, I need to get something in and I don't know what to do. Shelly is that editor that I can call and say, I'm stuck. Um, help me fix it. Like, see, that's awesome. Like, yeah. You know, honestly, like she and Will Dennis and, and those people that came out of Vertigo and stuff, it's like. I like their books, and I keep seeing their names on top of the book as editor, or at the bottom as editor, however the credits are delineated. But regardless, it's like these are tastemakers that get it and are, are finding the right people to make this stuff. So that's great to hear that you know she can facilitate your ideas and, and help you when you're not even realizing what you're putting down. And she's like, no, 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 I got the clarity. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really helpful for someone like me who um, is also kind of like, I mean, like Nick and I are both like self-taught. Okay. Um, like we both just kind of, you know, wanted to do something and figured out how to do it. Um, and so like, because of that, I have a really kind of chaotic creative process and having someone like Shelly um, who can kind of, um, you know, loop a cord around my ankle and tether me to something so I don't float away <laughs> uh, is really, really, really helpful. She's her and I just work so, so well together because and I feel like a lot of the like creatives she's worked really well with are, are you know, she works really well with, I think, people who are like just she's kind of a, a, a spitfire herself. Totally. Like, her powers are at, her, her, her powers are editorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just kind of this like crazy like creative writer type who um has my own nonsense form of um organization and 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 stuff and having having her to help me is is great like she she reads everything i write again and again and again and is like you know and will just talk to me like a reader um will just call me up and say hey i was thinking um i wonder i wonder why this character did this like not to say she doesn't tell me to change it uh, she doesn't tell me she didn't, you know, she didn't like it. She'll say, you know, I wonder why this happened. Um, I just found myself wondering as a reader and I'll say, Oh, well, you know, well, I know why that happened. Cause I'm the writer. <laughs> She's like, okay, well it's not, it's not clear to anyone else. And I'll say, oh, okay, well I'll put that in. Like, cool. it's, it's great. It never feels like, it never feels like she's directing my story or even that it feels like the story exists in my head as a cloud and she helps me to distill it as it needs to be or collect it as it needs to be collected and, and share it with the world in the way that best serves the story. That's great. No, that's excellent. And really, I, I appreciate the differences in your your writings as far as, you know, the different uh, strengths and, and things that you're pulling. Because, again, you know, Rick and Morty, lots of humor and stuff. And there's always you know, there's humor in Hackslash and there's humor in... Uh, assassinistas as well, and I'm sure there will be in uh, euthanauts as, as well. Uh, no, this is very cool, man. I'm, I'm 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 glad that you are getting the platform that you deserve, and are uh, thank you. No question, absolutely. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? I don't want to leave us hanging. If there's something else um, to talk about, I'm really excited for euthanauts, and a lot of people I talk to about it are very excited for it. It's super. If you're like a, we've, we've been telling it as, as Sandman meets Six Feet Under. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah, if you're into like, it's also like, it's if you're a Bowie fan, it's Space Oddity oh, meets Black Star. Oh, you had me at a low. All right, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's. Oh. If you're, if 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 you know you're someone who's uh, fascinated by like life after death or uh, you know just the the way we as people process death. I mean, the, the book's about death, spooky death book. 
Um, I'm really excited for it. But, uh, you know, Black Crown is part of IDW, but, you know, the previews book is two inches thick. So I always tell people if you want the book, if you want to make sure that you get the book, please, please tell your local shop. You can buy books however you want, or you can order pre-order it online, or you can read it on Comixology. But um, however you do it, like if you if you are a shop person and you tell your shop, thank you so much uh, for just saying, hey, I want to read this book. Can you guys check it out or maybe order a few for me? Um, and tell people if you like it. And if, if you don't tell people to, you know, <laughs> be honest about it. <laughs> well, and also I got to, because you threw the Bowie thing out there, I got to tell you, I wore, my previous job was at the uh, classic album rock station in Chicago and Black Star came out and then Bowie died. And I'm, and mm-hmm. even when it came out before he died and before we knew, at least I didn't know how sick he was when he was making it. I'm like, why aren't we playing this? This is David Bowie. We play all of his classic stuff. And this weenie of a program director is like, well, you know, we just stick with the hits. And, uh, you know, this is new. I'm like, it's David Bowie. It's David Bowie. Like you said, it's it kind of bookends space oddity. Why aren't we playing? This makes total sense. And it's, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Get- and it, I mean, I, I, I recently wrote about it for a, a piece about euthanauts. I was talking about how much the album Black Star caused, almost caused euthanauts to exist. Wow. because. Go on. It was like I, I remember I was like up at like 4 a.m. when like it came out that he had died and I'm like a huge lifelong Bowie fan. And I had been I had been listening to, to Black Star because it had come out a few days before. Yeah. And I was just like absolutely shook for a week straight yeah. because all I could think of was knowing you're going to die and making art about that. Totally. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. Like he just did it immediately. But like that was really powerful to me. And so I was like, I, I want to make a. I want to make something about death and, and maybe I'm not going to wait because none of us know how long we have. Um, so I want to make my book about death now. Um, but absolutely like, you know, someone, someone on, on Twitter said that whenever they see the euthanauts cover, they hear, um, they hear black star in their oh, head. That's great. Like, oh my God. That's wonderful. Um, it's absolutely uh, there. And, and you know, there's um, the, the first issue is, uh, it's called ground control. Like, I mean, it's, it's the, the, there's a lot and working with Shelly, it's like, that's not a, Shelly is not an editor. Who's going to tell you to put less Bowie in anything. So. I know. There's a lot, if, there's a lot of Easter eggs and, and love, um, you know, even Indigo, one of the characters is even this, you know, gorgeous skinny boy with bright red hair. And, um, actually Shelly and Nick, the artist and I all got to go to the Mick rock photography exhibit of David Bowie's photos yeah. when we were in Seattle together this year. And it was very, very cool. We took a lot of photos and we, you know, it was it was really quiet. I highly encourage any creatives who are listening to go to a museum with your creative collaborators. It's really a great experience or go to go to an art exhibit or a gallery with your creative collaborators and, and just see what catches each other's eyes and talk, walk around and experience art together and talk about it or go to a play together or something like go. Go experience art with the people you make art with and talk about it. It's really cool. Something I want to do more often. That's an excellent idea. That's fantastic. Good, good, good tip. I like it. And also, yeah, you know, uh, again, Shelly, when I talked to her, as I'm sure you heard, we both come from college radio backgrounds and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, if we knew each other in college, we would have been working at the station together. And (laughs) just that same sensibility. And I know how important music is to her and how it, you know, informs her art so that's no that's excellent i'm that that makes me that much more excited for euthanauts that's wonderful so well thank you absolutely hey pleasure talking to you and please let's do it again um i yeah pleasure talking to you as well 
I, I really, we will do it again. And you know, I mean, you've been, you've been so, so kind, and it's been so fun to talk to you. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll shoot an early Ethanots PDF. Oh, like. that'd be great. I will. I certainly <laughs> would love that. That'd be wonderful. But uh, no, thank you. And seriously, keep up the great work. And uh, everyone out there, Assassinistas, Rick and Morty, uh, Euthanauts, go back and uh, grab skeptics. Don't wait for the trade. And uh, and yeah, and, uh, no, keep up the great work, Teeny Howard. I like what I'm reading. Thank you so much, John. Nice conversation with Teeny Howard on today's Word Balloon. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, uh, if you're uh, itching for more fresh Word Balloon, uh, don't forget earlier this week I released an excellent uh, two conversations, uh, one with Will Dennis and one with J.H. Williams and Wendy Wright Williams, uh, all involved with Where We Live, the incredible Las Vegas anthology that uh, supports the uh, victims and families of the Las Vegas shootings of last year. It's a tremendous anthology. The great thing about these anthologies is uh, I think they're incredible artistic expressions and as well as uh, really uh, a wonderful um, testament to the memories of, uh, of the fallen of uh, things like uh, the Vegas shootings. I uh, felt the same way about Our Love is Real, the um, Orlando uh, shootings anthology that Mark Andreco helped spearhead with IDW. Uh, this is a great one that Image Comics have stepped up with, Where We Live, and uh, two really great conversations with uh, the masterful editor, Will Dennis, the incredible artist, J.H. Williams, Wendy Wright Williams, who uh, manages J.H.'s career and is uh, as much a partner in their marriage as she is in their uh, comic business. And it's really great to talk to them, not only about where we live, but about the market today. And, uh, you know, J.H. and Wendy talk a lot about the Vegas comic book uh, scene. And uh, Will has some great stories about Joe Kubert and Lieber Mayho and some of the other collaborators that he's worked with in the past and is currently working with today. So I hope you check that out. And then also uh, another uh, fork in the road as I welcome back uh, comedian Phil Proctor, one of my comedy gurus uh, from the Firesign Theater, uh, an incredibly influential sketch comedy troupe from the mid-60s who continue to produce excellent work. And, and much like the Beatles, there's, uh, there's only two guys left. Uh, they were an incredible quartet, uh, kind of the American Monty Python in a lot of ways. A lot of really interesting counterculture sketch comedy that started in the 60s and started on freeform radio, uh, the internet of its day, FM radio, when uh, there were no holds barred. And um, uh, Phil has just had an incredible career, not only in audio sketch comedy, but also live performances, film, television. He is the uh, drunken French monkey in Dr. Doolittle, Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle. He is also... Uh, in uh, the Rugrats, he plays uh, the Howard on on the Rugrats. So if you're a big Rugrats fan, you've been enjoying Phil Proctor's work for the 14 years that he did working on the Rugrats uh, TV shows and the movies as well. Uh, just a slice of some of Phil Proctor's comedy. He has a brand new podcast called the Proctor Podcast, where he story tells about his incredible career. And this is a guy who really lived uh, that 60s uh, hippie experience. And was right there. I mean, it was, you know, he was in his 20s and enjoying life and, uh, you know, kind of really heavily involved with uh, what was going on culturally in the 60s uh, through through the 2000s. And, uh, you know, many, many showbiz friendships and uh, great stories. He's an incredible storyteller, uh, making films with Orson Welles, making uh, television with people like Harry Anderson from Night Court, who we just lost this year. Uh, great encounters with Phil Hartman. Some of the great stories that I share uh, with Phil Proctor, uh, he shares with me, really. 
And uh, he's just a fun guy. So if you haven't listened to it yet, two more episodes that came out this week from Word Balloon. Let me preview what's coming up next week. Uh, first of all, I'll be talking soon with Scotty Young, uh, not only about uh, Fuck Fairyland. You know, it's called I Hate Fairyland for the, the clean version, but we all know the secret real title of it is Fuck Fairyland. And uh, also excited about him uh, starting off uh, Deadpool. And, uh, you know, he's had a great relationship with Marvel over the years, so it's really going to be interesting to hear what he's got in store for Deadpool in our conversation. Also, uh, I uh, hand the microphone to my friend Ed Cato, who uh, just did a great convention and had the opportunity of uh, interviewing on panel Don McGregor, one of the uh, key creators in the history of Black Panther and a very important creator, writer-wise, who also entered the creator-owned market in the formative 80s with things like Detectives, Inc. and uh, a character called Sable that was an incredible character as well. Uh, Don is a great, great writer uh, who I don't want uh, time to forget. And I'm really excited to present this conversation with Don to you guys on Word Balloon and Women. Uh, it's a it's a great story about his career, and uh, I'm glad to uh, check in with Don. I'll be seeing Don at Terrificon, so uh, please, uh, you know, if you are in the area of Connecticut or New York, I hope you uh, make the journey, and uh, I get a chance to see you in August. And uh, Don McGregor is going to be there, and a lot of other great uh, past creators and also current creators. It's going to be a fantastic convention. I'm really excited to be involved with that, doing some panels as well. And uh, a great sneak preview for Terrificon is uh, to include this conversation that Ed did with Don McGregor. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week on Word Balloon. Also, a couple great uh, boxing conversations with two guys that are not only great boxing writers, but also great comic book fans, and also uh, in the case of one who has uh, contributed to comic books as well. Michael Cronenberg wrote the uh, Batcave Companion for Two Morrows and has a massive love for Batman and comic books in general. Uh, It's my pleasure to welcome him to not only talk about that book, but also uh, some uh, projects that he's doing in the world of uh, boxing magazines. Ringside Seat is a magazine that he is uh, highly involved with from a design standpoint and also a writing contribution standpoint. And uh, another great uh, voice from my past, Doug Fisher, who is currently the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine, the Bible of boxing as it's known. Uh, And it's great to talk to Doug about his love of comics. And we kind of reconnect because um, he's only a couple years younger than me. And during my years as a boxing journalist, uh, we did cross paths. And it was very sweet that uh, he remembered me and even remembers my writing. You know, it's just like my sports radio broadcasting part of my career i'm always really pleased that uh, people remember because it's been a few years and man i stopped writing about boxing in 2006 or i should say broadcasting about it in 2006 hell it was in the mid 90s that i stopped writing properly about boxing but uh you know i was a foot soldier beat reporter of boxing back then and uh it's great to catch up with uh these guys uh, about boxing it excites me and again another fork in the road so i appreciate your indulgence in uh, letting me, uh, you know, enjoy these conversations. Word Balloon is my journey uh, through the pop culture world, and boxing is a big part of my pop culture world, so it's nice to share these conversations with you. So just a couple of the uh, great episodes that are coming in the days ahead here at Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening today. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Again, thank you, League, for your support. Uh, Also, Word Balloon brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous books at tremendous prices. Don't forget, your orders of $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. You will find all the graphic novels you want at great prices at InStockTrades.com. 
Okay, until next time, uh, if you want to reach me via email, contact me, john at wordballoon.com. Follow me on Twitter, at John Word Balloon, or uh, you can follow me on Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon Network. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.